Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> you, you know what time it is. You know what's happened recently. James, let them know. It, it, it's Hot Takes time. It's it's Hot Takes time. So, all right, we got a we got a shorter episode today. Uh, there's three main topics that we're basically covering. We're covering the World Series, you know, the the outcome. Uh, we're covering the Arizona Fall League Fall Stars game, which I went to, and then we're gonna cover the end, the best hitting free agents. Well, best position player free agents, because um, there's a large grouping this year. Uh, if we're going to acknowledge the fact that the shift is going away next year. So mm-hmm. some guys, they carry more value just because they're pull lefties. So it's a larger list this year. It's a, a larger list of guys who are going to be uh, seriously impactful. But we're going to start off with this World Series thing because everybody here knows, you know, I know, anyone who's been watching knows, I hate the Astros. I hate the Astros. Hate. Absolutely hate. You. Absolutely hate. If you could buy the Astros and then just just dissolve the team, you probably would. Um, if I could buy the Astros, what I would do is I'd trade Altuve, I'd trade uh, Bregman. Yuli's already a free agent, uh, but you can get a lot for Altuve, and you can get a lot for Bregman. And I would go get two people who uh, haven't cheated their way to a World Series championship. Um, That'd be a however, fun episode. <laughs> what would oh, a couple episodes what would i do if i bought this team oh oh yeah um the thing is is that every single team uh can always upgrade um from certain positions to a degree because mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to get all of the best players in the league so you're going to have to experiment so if you're looking at say the astros they should probably get a corner outfielder and they should probably get a fourth outfielder who can play everyday center field just in case McCormick falls off a cliff because he's mainly been polished offensively mm-hmm. um, over over tools offensively. Very fast. Um, and those guys, they, they they stay good for a little bit longer, like Whit Merrifield. Uh, he's still doing decently. Um, but the league adjusts. So, uh, But, you know, not getting into just breaking down the Astros roster. Um, I just want to say, now, first off, I don't want them to win. I never wanted them to win. However, the beginning of the year, I said that they were one of the three teams who could win it. So it doesn't exactly knock my my percentage down. I think we talked about this on one of the previous uh, you know, podcasts that we did. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe I said to you, I'm rooting for the Phillies. I hope the Phillies win. If the Phillies win, it will reinforce something that I learned um, just through this season, you know, that, that I think like seriously impacts my analytical strategies. But I said that I'm rooting for the Phillies, but if the Astros win, then my success rate, if you will, on a year to year basis, uh, of which team's going to win the world series, mm-hmm. um, it, it improves, um, it improves because, you know, if you're looking at the Yankees, a whole bunch of people got hurt. Uh, they weren't were barely healthy for the playoffs. Um, if you're looking at, you know, the Mets, the Mets didn't get more impactful players who were going to stay impactful. Naquin and and you know Vogelback 
they are hot and cold. Towards the end of the season, they were getting cold. Um, so that the impactful moves that would would have rounded out the roster there that I thought that they were going to make because I thought they were easy moves didn't end up happening. And Alvarez and Beatty were not ready as early as they needed to be. Mm-hmm. So that impacted the Mets roster. Now these are things that I could not have accounted for before the year, which is why I try to give like a top three as far as which teams could win the World Series because injuries happen, trades midseason happen, um, prospects who were supposed to be impactful uh, by midseason end up going through, you know, growing pains, if you will. Um, The Astros not only stayed healthy, they had multiple spots in their lineup where they had serious deficiencies or injuries in Brantley's case. And they went into the deadline and they added a bunch of hitters. They added Vasquez. They added Mancini. You know, like they improved their team drastically mm-hmm. at the deadline, as well as not having any injuries. You add on to the fact that their pitching was did about as good as a pitching staff has ever done in the playoffs. You know, they didn't even really need to hit that much. Their pitching staff overall was just holding other teams and they'd score, you know, four or five runs and take it. So fair and square, they won the World Series. I give full credit to that pitching staff. I give full credit to the guys who they developed through their farm system who didn't cheat. Alvarez, unbelievable hitter. Tucker, unbelievable defender, hitter, uh, base runner. He does he does it all. Uh, Jeremy Pena, when he was in the minors, he went from being a utility guy to seeing as an everyday second baseman to be seen as an everyday shortstop. And then he turned himself into an every power hitting shortstop. And that's all through effort. Chaz McCormick, he was supposed to be a fourth outfielder. He turned himself into, at least for a year or so, an everyday player. It's not going to stick, but he did that, you know, seemingly through effort because nobody thought he was going to be that either. So I give a lot of credit, you know, Vasquez coming over from Boston, terrible base runner, but he gives you defense and offense at catcher. Uh, Trey Mancini coming in from the Orioles, getting lineup protection, which he didn't have over there. So I give full credit to all these guys. I mean, Mancini's even an inspiring story because he came back from cancer and now he's got a title here, you know? However, Altuve, Gurriel, and Bregman now have a non-cheating title. Um, I'm not considering them a World Series champ. I'm sorry. People can be pissed. People can act like, uh, oh, you should get over cheating to win a World Series title. I don't care whether you're a Yankee fan or a Dodger fan or a Braves fan or a Pirates fan. You should be absolutely, for, for, the, next, for the next 50 years or, or however long, you should be really upset about that. That the one thing, the highest of the highest goals in baseball, the most important one, you cheated. And now people second guess uh, championships basically every year after that. So I'm not going to consider either of those three players uh, actual World Series winners. But the rest of the entire team that aren't cheaters, unbelievable players, great work ethic, great makeup. And I, 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 I tip my hat to them. You know, they... They had a great year, and those guys are deserving of it. I don't care about the cheaters, though. There's three left. 
you know, there are pitchers left from that team, but they didn't cheat, at least as far as we know. So the Astros won the World Series. I hate it. It does improve my winning percentage because I didn't predict the Braves last year. They were not one of my three. So it's good to have a little bit of a bounce back there. I hate it to a certain degree. Like I said, I would have liked the Phillies to win. But I can compartmentalize it enough to be happy for all of the people who are deserving of it. Despite the fact that, you know, three guys really should not have gotten that, you know, those rings. So I, I guess that's probably the best way I can I can cover the World Series without really, really getting into details that I hate that the Astros won, but it improves my 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 numbers, if you will. So I'll I'll take what I can get there and I'm trying to ignore the bad parts. Um also Mattress Mac, who's been betting on the, the Astros to win the World Series like almost every single year, he finally won his bet and got $75 million. So I thought I'd touch on that a little bit. That's awesome for somebody who's, you know, been trying to, you know, bet everything basically uh, for now a few uh, titles or at least chances at a title. Um, So the next thing I want to bring up, you know, I'm out here in Arizona. Okay. Uh, Arizona fall league every single uh, fall into the winter, every single year is chock full of guys who, within the next, you know, year to two years, they end up coming up to the big leagues. And in many cases, they end up being all-stars. I got to see Aaron Judge out there. I got to see guys like uh, Bader also out there. I got to see guys like Alonso out there. I, I, I got the chance to see Vlad Guerrero Jr. out there. Um, a bunch of guys before they were big leaguers. Um, so I, I always go every year. I try to see as many games as I can. This year I've been very busy, so I didn't go to as many games as I as I could have. I'm still going to go to the semifinal next weekend, and I'm still going to go to the uh, the championship next weekend. Um, a lot of the guys that you know uh, I'm a big fan of are going to be playing on each of those teams, um, or all of those teams because the semifinal. You know, um, I do want to say this: I did get the chance to see one really really big game this year i had to go um the fall stars game arizona all well it's the all-star game but they call it the fall stars game and i got to see a lot of guys that i've been looking into uh some guys i was able to really figure out whether i should be investing in them or not um zach veen is a guy like that he stole like 55 bases this last year he was a first round draft pick lefty hitter smooth swing um, he traded in the ability to have that swing speed, you know, have the strength for that swing speed. He traded that in for the speed that he has. And unless he can put on some serious muscle, which at his age, he's getting close to, you know, will he be able to do that at his size? Um, it, it, it makes me very wary, especially with the fact that he works the count this much swing has gotten long so i wouldn't have known that if i hadn't seen him in person because i took that information and i looked at the numbers and i was like wow he's working the count but to not not to really get to that much power you know so guys like that i, I was able to 
have my eyes open to a little bit. I got to see Heston Kierstad, who looked good. He didn't look great at all. Um, he did look like he was durable. He did look like he was somebody who um, could play full seasons as a lefty power hitter. However, I don't think he's going to hit lefties. I don't think he has that great base base running. I think he's probably going to be a little negative on the base running. He's got a really weak arm in the outfield. And he is a corner outfielder, though. So, you know, depending if you put him in left field, you can hide it a little bit. You do you it, that's what happens these days with Jock Peterson. You put him in left field, you hide his throwing arm. Back in the day, it was Johnny Damon. Um, but Kirstad. His swing was a good deal slower than I would have liked to see it. That being said, with his physicality and his ability to play every day and not going to kill you in left field defensively, being a left-handed hitter, if he's able to just hit righties and with his strength and swing mechanics, he should be able to at least do that. He does have a high probability as an everyday player. I'd say he has a very low probability of being true middle-of-the-order hitter. I think you'd be looking at a guy who is a much better fit uh, on the teams that are 11th best to 20th best than he is on a team that's 1 to 10. So second division regular, as they call it. If anyone hears that term, that's what they mean, the middle 10 teams. Third division regular is you're, you're, you're in the big leagues, but you're in the big leagues because some terrible team uh, wants to give you a shot. So I got to see Heston Kierstad. Uh, I got to see um, uh, uh, Jackson Merrill. I got to see um, Henry Davis. Uh, I got to see Dominguez, Jason Dominguez. Um, I got to see a bunch of guys. Um, Jordan Walker, I got to see too. He's huge, six foot five power hitter. Um, he smoked some balls. But Dominguez, of all the players that I got to see, I was really hoping that, you know, the Martian, Jason Dominguez, one of my favorite prospects in the sport, I was really hoping that he would show up, you know, that I would get a good gauge on who he was and that he'd actually be very good. He had arguably the best hit of the night. Walker hit the ball the hardest and hit the ball on a line. But if we're looking at, swing mechanics getting the job done and it being you know a pulled ball and if you're looking at um the velocity off the bat exit velocity to um physicality jason dominguez looked better than any of the rest of them now in center field he looked capable but I'd kind of like him better in a corner. I think the, the range would make him elite in a corner. And I think he'd have more confidence using his throwing arm. So I do think he's probably a left fielder in the future for the Yankees with Judge and Wright. Um, anyone who says that Judge is leaving is, is absolutely nuts. There's many reasons that that's impossible. The Yankees would never let that happen. Um, and reasons on and off the field. Um, and of course the Yankees trying to win now, you know, but getting back into Dominguez, you know, cause that's, that's its own conversation. Uh, the judge market. Um, Dominguez hit a double and 
it was a very impressive hit. Um, he keeps his bat as still as it needs to be until the pitcher starts his motion. He keeps it on his shoulder. And then once the pitcher starts his motion, he loads and fires. There's a little bit of bat movement, but not enough to stop him from reaching basically all of his power. Torres, you know, Glaber Torres for the Yankees, he's having trouble uh, reaching his full ability to hit righties because he moves his bat so much while the pitch is being delivered that he can't set his hands to fire. Dominguez keeping the bat on his shoulder and then engaging his arms, it minimizes the amount of movement that he puts in into his swing. Now, did Dominguez look like a future Mike Trout? No. What would the numbers be that I could project him for? Uh, without the shift, you know, shift going away, I could see him batting about 280. Um, what's his power? Well, in his prime, you're looking at a guy who's probably going to be somewhere around 27, 28 home runs. Nothing crazy, not, you know, into the 30s, but somewhere around where Robinson Cano would land. Um, and that's, you know, not to say that he's the type of hitter that Cano was. Um, Cano was a different type of hitter, but in a lot of ways, more skilled. Um, that's not to down talk Dominguez because there's a lot of other things that Dominguez has going for him that Cano didn't. Um, but Dominguez, I think, is going to reach that level of power that Cano reached because he's a switch hitter and because he's filling out the doubles he hits. They're going to go over the wall. He's got a very, very well-structured, well-built body. He may not be the tallest guy, but at his height, it shouldn't impair him. Uh, and if it does, it'll be when he's like 33. So you're looking at a guy who's a power hitter from both sides of the plate. There's not going to be a very big divide in terms of how he's going to hit from each side. He'll hit for more natural power from the right side, but because of the shift going away, the value of a left-handed batter is going to come back into the game. So the fact that he can also bat from the left side, even though he doesn't have the ability to drive the ball to the same degree as the right side, with lineup protection, with the shift going away, and in Yankee Stadium with a short porch, arguably he's going to do better from the left side, even though he's got more natural ability to drive the ball from the other. Um, he looked like a guy who he's okay if, you know, he gets a pitch that's a pitcher's pitch. If it's not in the zone, he's got a great eye, one of the best eyes that I've seen as an amateur. But um, how do I how do I say this? He's the type of guy where if you give him a mistake, he'll go yard or a double. If you don't give him a, a mistake, he's still capable of regularly doing damage. It's not like he only needs mistakes in order to be successful. And I won't say he's got like, you know, insane speed, but once he gets going, once he gets into it, right, you're looking at, at peak, at the best of what he could do, a 65. What I'm looking at, because he's going to gain muscle and get stronger, the doubles are going to go for homers. I think it's going to play much more like a 60. You're still talking about around 20 stolen bases, though, because of that. So if you're talking about a guy who's going to get about 26, 27 home runs, he's going to get like 37 doubles, 36 doubles. He's going to steal 22 bases. He's a switch hitter who hits 
you know, it's not like he's a switch hitter who does massively better for one side than he doesn't hit for the other. He'll hit on both sides. And he's a guy who would be a plus defender in a corner outfield spot. And there's a good argument to be made that he would be unbelievably electric if you batted him leadoff. Um, so all around, he blew me away. Was he, you know, the next Trout, as, you know, people were comparing him to? They compared him to Mantle, Trout, Bo Jackson when he was 16 years old. That's why they called him the Martian. He was not that. You know, he's not a guy who's going to hit 35 homers a year. He's also not a guy who's going to steal 30 bases a year. However, 25-20 with good defense as a switch hitter with at least a 280 batting average is an insanely valuable player. And one of the, I'd say one of the best 25 hitters in the sport, maybe if you're adding in the defense and, and the base running, you're talking about probably top 15. Um, and he's just like, he just turned 20. So like I said, I think he's going to fill out more. He's going to slow down, but the power is going to come. There's an argument to be made that he might even be in the forties with doubles and around 26, 27 in homers. So absolutely blew me away. I had to mention that here and I got to see a whole bunch of different prospects too. Um, oh, another guy I got to see out here in, in the last few years was, uh, Julio Rodriguez. Um, but last thing we should mention, it's a very, very quick list. Um, this is the position player free agents that are the best on the market. Um, now, this is the biggest uh, I've, I've seen um, the free agent market be position player wise in a few years. Um, like I said, I think earlier, a lot of that is a shift going away. Uh, a lot of that is also reconceptualizing how I understand clutch defense. You know, that was one of the things that I learned from the Phillies run this year is that you can have a guy who previously was a good defender or a guy who has a chip on their shoulder to prove that they're a good defender. If the guy who's got a chip on his shoulder, those fundamental roots and fundamental actions in the field in a big moment, if he's really trying to prove himself, he can make some big plays. If you have a guy who previously in his career was an elite defender, even if they're not a very good defender now, they can reach back for that so long as they're surrounded by good defenders. Because uh, then they're able to, to extend themselves within a range of workability instead of overextend themselves You know, with that effort. You have enough room where if that effort is not working, you're protected where you know you'll feel comfortable making the play because there's not risk of what will happen if you don't make the play all right so this it's basically a list of 30 uh position players that are the best on the market so we're going to start with the outfielders obviously judge is the first one we have to mention ben intendi's another one uh one of the three best uh outfielders on the entire market then you have jock peterson Peterson hits righties like nobody's business. And he's got that type of um, confidence that teams really need to get that edge in the playoffs. Um, you have Andrew McCutcheon. Now, McCutcheon is a guy who 
he it's been a long time since he was a middle of the order hitter. However, he still every year is able to at least be a league average hitter. And he's dropped off the strikeout rate as he's decided to become an aggressive hitter because he doesn't have uh, the ability to keep working uh, pitches in order to crush mistakes. So he has to crush what he can. Uh, so he's transitioned full into being an aggressive hitter. You give a guy like that who's got his track record lineup protection and you bat him maybe like seven. In big moments, he's going to perform. And I'm sure you could, if you protect him well enough, you could probably still use him in, in the corner outfield spot so long as you have the other two spots with really good defenders. Not sure I'd be comfortable with that, but I could understand it if you want to get a really big bat into the DH spot. He's going to be a guy, even if you DH him, who's going to produce enough for you during the year where you can't say he hurt the team at all. And he's going to produce enough in big moments where there's that added uh, benefit, which is, you know, uh, if you have a guy who's a league average hitter and he's able to do that too, you got something there. So I think one of the things that the Phillies proved in this playoff uh, was that you can, you can get that type of production defensively, even out of these types of guys. And McCutcheon already had the ability to hit in big situations offensively while basically being league average overall as a hitter. So he's one of the 30. You have Brandon Nimmo. Nimmo, I don't like him, specifically long-term. I don't trust the power. That being said, he walks a ton. His defense has gotten a lot better. And with the shift going away, his on-base percentages for next year should be unreal. Because he already walks a lot. He's a pull hitter. Those balls are going to get through with the shift not being there. He's going to get a lot more singles and more times on base because of it. The on-base percentage has already been good. Um, you add the defense, like I said, the fact that he's a lefty. He is very valuable specifically for next year. Um, so I have to put him on this list. He's going to be a championship quality left or center fielder next year. But just next year. I think there's a big, big, big fall off coming right after that. Then you got Kevin Kiermeyer again with the shift going away. There might be at least league average offense there, or at least close to it. And Kiermeyer is arguably the best defensive center fielder in the sport. He's right there with Buxton, really, if we're being truthful. Um, so that type of defense with good base running and the ability to hit at least league average, I think he's a lot more value than the market currently is for him. Right now, the market they're probably going to pay him about two, $3 million, maybe five max. He's going to contribute enough value for him to be worth around $12 million. So you can get big production there for not very much. Jerks and Profar, left fielder, San Diego Padres, okay defender, gets on base a lot, runs the bases, switch hitter, left side is going to gain a lot from next year. He's going to be at minimum a, a good defender and good hitter. Um, I, I, the defense might just stabilize them. Defense might regress, but he's going to be a good base runner. He's going to be uh, a good hitter. There's going to be on base percentages there uh, that are workable. Michael Brantley, he 
has now gotten another shoulder surgery. So at his age, strong possibility that he's not able to hit for power from here on out at his age. However, given how good he has been, given that he's a lefty hitter, even if there's a shot that he is who he was, you got to have him on the 30. A.J. Pollock, not really the best outfielder defensively, not really the worst outfielder defensively. Good base runner, and as the season went on, some of his hitting ability started to come back. And I'm wondering whether that was him not playing as much in the American League. Uh, now he's on the White Sox, um, or he was, and now he's a free agent again. So I'm wondering whether it would be a better idea for a team to bring him back to the National League because in the National League, he was at least 20% above league average with the bat, which let you know his speed on the bases, it let it play. So if Pollock goes back to the National League, he's got to be on the list because of the numbers he can put up. David Peralta, lefty pull hitter, shift's going to go away. He's at minimum going to hit righties. And he's one of the best defensive left fielders in the sport. That's the entire outfield group. The infield group... Jose Abreu, one of the best hitters of all time um, in terms of Cuban players. Um, Scouts said he was one of the... Scouts said when he was in Cuba towards the end that if he'd come into the U.S., he would be right there with the best players offensively. Um, So not only was he, you know, arguably one of the best that came out of his country, but he was also a guy that the Scouts liked so much that they were putting him on that tier. And as soon as he came over to the big leagues, he had a 55% above league average year, which is right there with the best hitters in the sport, typically on a year-to-year basis. Over the next few years, White Sox lineup kind of got depleted. Pitchers went right after him. He ended up being a good hitter, but not the type of hitter that he was when he first came into the league. However, the moment the White Sox got any lineup protection around him, the offense came back. And even though it's been years later, He's still 35 to 45% above league average with the bat and insane in big situations. So if you're a, you know, a, a National League team and you still haven't adopt, adopted the DH, go get Jose Abreu. There are some teams where he is beyond a perfect fit. Like if you're looking at the Atlanta Braves, if you were to put him at DH on the Atlanta Braves, the amount of value that it would carry for that team. Another middle-of-the-order hitter who shows up in all situations, there's going to be a lot of teams looking for a guy like that. Um, Matt Carpenter played for the Yankees, played third base, played right field, uh, DH'd. He proved that there is something left in his at-bat. He in, in his bat, he changed the way that he went through at-bats, how aggressive he was, his swing mechanics. And, you know, he he got a minor league deal. So he ended up really tattooing uh, the baseball in AAA for the Rangers. The Rangers released him. The moment the Yankees got him, his numbers, they were incredible. So I'm not going to say, you know, he's back to being the old Chris Carpenter, but he is a lefty and he did hit to high degrees this year. And it is related to a swing change that we know of. If he goes back to the Yankees, which is reasonable, with that lineup protection, the shift going away, 
the short porch in right field for him, high chance that he produces again. And he's the type of guy, given his past, where he produces in big situations as well. Carlos Santana, a good defender at first base, cannot run the bases. However, he's a guy who walks a lot and doesn't really strike out. With the shift going away, he's a switch hitter, mainly will bat from the left side. Similar to Nemo, his on-base percentage is going to be so impressive that even though he's only hitting about 20 homers a year, 18 homers a year, the amount of on-base percentage that you're getting and the quality of defense you're getting at first base, high-quality addition. He may not be a three-hole or four-hole or five-hole, but he could be a six-hole hitter, and he'd be a really good one at that. Um, Justin Turner. He hit the market from what I'm understanding, you know, unless I don't think the Dodgers are bringing him back, uh, especially with how expensive he would be to bring back. Workable third base defender, not great at it, not bad at it. Aggressive hitter, doesn't strike out. Give him lineup protection. He'll do well if you play him every day, specifically in the second half. You can stomach the bad first half, which is probably what it's going to be moving forward. Second half is going to be good for you. And he also shows up in very big situations. So if you need a third baseman who shows up in big situations, who will drive in runs for you down the stretch and won't kill you on defense, Turner is going to be a great fit for you. And it's a lot harder to find two-way third basemen than it is to find two-way players or players that give you enough being one-way players at any other position. It's harder to do that at third base than any other spot except for catcher. Two-way catchers are the rarest thing out there. Um, so now we got Longoria. High chance that the the Giants end up letting him hit the market. If he doesn't, you know, then they will have seen what I see in him. What I see in him is a great defender, specifically a guy who's great in big moments, a guy who's not going to kill you on the base running. He's going to destroy left-handed pitching. And in big moments, he's going to hit right-handed pitching. So if he gives you what you want against righties in big moments, in every moment he crushes lefties, and he gives you great defense, especially great defense in big moments, while always staying healthy at third base, that is a quality player. You just got to ideally bat him back-to-back with a lefty because that lefty is probably going to crush the righties that he doesn't. Um, Then you have Trey Turner. I don't think I have to really say anything here. Trey Turner is a plus defensive shortstop who's going to hit for decent batting average, steal 40 bases a year, and still find a way to hit 25 homers. Don't need to say anything else. That's insane. Um, Dansby Swanson, per OAA, this season, Swanson was the best defensive shortstop in the big leagues. He's a very good base runner. He's got a very aggressive profile and yet still hits for power without killing you uh, as far as in-play power goes. Vanderbilt product, he's got his, you know, he's got positioning right. He's got his head on right. Vanderbilt products always have high levels of makeup. He should be sought after by literally any team that needs a shortstop. He should be one of the top options for them, specifically teams that don't want to spend on guys like Trey Turner And the next guy I'm about to name, Carlos Correa has hit the market once again. If you want to have a guy who's a true leader, um, 
not necessarily in the types of ways where he's doing the right things, but in the types of ways where he is, you know, doing things that are, you know, driving in runs in big moments and he's yelling and, and pounding on his chest and getting in other teams' heads and, you know, you know, just in general being electricity, you know, and electricity from a power hitter uh, who's a good defensive player at, at shortstop, except for this season. Uh, if he's been an elite defensively as a shortstop, except for this season. So I don't think he's a bad defender. He is a guy where, similar to Peterson, you're going to want him on your team to get in everybody's heads. Um, got to give him big money. Got to give him big years. Um, smaller guys that have value, uh, Jose Iglesias, uh, but it's arguable that he should be just on the edge of the list. You put him at second base, however, which is people are going to need good defensive second basemen. He'll be the best defensive second baseman in the major leagues. You get him lineup protection. You bat him first. He'll get some more hits. Won't kill you. Um, will hit lefties above average. Um, and, you know, like I said, if you bat him first, he'll get pitches to hit, hit for decent batting average in general. Um, so he has value if you're using him right. Same thing with Elvis Andres. At this point in time, he either needs to be leadoff or he needs to bat ninth but he has the speed for it and he can play good up the middle defense and he can kind of hit in big moments too. So even though he's not a power threat, even though he's really not going to put together um, consistent high levels of offense, he is going to hit in big moments. He is going to hit lefties good up the middle defense can run the base as well. That's good enough for me. Um, Bogart, Sander Bogarts. Yeah. That Xander Bogarts, the Xander Bogarts who's been an all-star for the Red Sox for the past decade or whatever. Uh, he's hitting the market. I don't think he's going back to Boston either. Great numbers this year. Analytics did not believe in them. So there is a certain degree of risk, um, especially leaving Fenway as a pole righty hitter. You know, the green monster he really survived off of. But if a team rolls the dice on him and he does keep performing, He's going to be one of the, the biggest impacts of any player on this uh, entire market uh, as far as adding a, a player to your team. He's going to impact the game much more than most of the guys that I just listed, uh, assuming the analytics are wrong. Uh, D.D. Gregorius. D.D. Gregorius should not be playing shortstop anymore. He needs to be a center fielder with his range and his arm, and his body type, he'd actually do really good out there. Also worth noting, he didn't really get to play much the last couple of years, mainly because of injuries. However, every single year before that, for the last five years before that, he's had a slugging percentage in the 400s. And that's because he makes a lot of contact, he swings a lot, and the ball comes off his bat at the right angle. He never hits the ball hard. He's never succeeded off of hitting the ball hard. He also does much better in the second half. I think if you put him in a platoon, you put him in center field, he'll give you elite levels of defense, plus levels of base running, and a slugging percentage that won't kill you, in addition to the fact that he is a lefty. So the batting average will go up. On-base percentage will go up. I think teams are not looking at all at the type of value you can get out of Didi, uh, especially in the short term. He also has the body type where he should be able to put on muscle, but that hasn't happened yet. And now he's like 31, 32. So 
you put him in the outfield, maybe he can focus on that type of thing because the infield got to be quick. Um, but even without it, he should be a guy to, who can give you elite defense in center should you go that way, plus base running and a slugging percentage that's not going to kill you. Lastly, we got Andrelton Simmons. Uh, he is, as we know, arguably the best defensive shortstop of all time. He has been hurt the last two and a half years, though. So there's significant risk there. Gene Segura, we saw what he could give any team in the playoffs. He's second baseman for the Phillies. Runet Odor, he's a guy who, again, he's kind of tied for the 30th. He has been slowly adjusting different things the last few years. The new one is eliminating strikeouts. So his improvement has been insanely subtle. But I do think if you put him in a team with lineup protection, you bat him first, you give him the right ballpark, you play him every single day. I think he could have enough value as a leadoff hitter with the power he has, the aggression he has, the ability to run the bases the way he, he does. Insanely intelligent hitter. One of the most, well, insanely intelligent fielder too. He's got one of the highest baseball IQs that I've ever seen of a player. So I think if you put him in the perfect situation, maybe you platoon him. Like I said, lead off, let him use his legs, let him get on base. Let him uh, capitalize on being aggressive on a, a first pitch fastball. He always crushes those. Um, I think teams aren't really looking at him as a, a leadoff hitter option this offseason. And I think he's probably going to get a contract about $3 million, maybe $2 million and a half. Uh, Brandon Belt, always hurt. Great defender. It's horrible that he's played in San Francisco his entire career because San Francisco suppresses lefties' power like by nobody's business. So you put him in Yankee Stadium, you put him in Fenway, you put him with the Rangers, any ballpark that is a hitter's ballpark, if Belt stays healthy, he is going to be one of the best offensive first basemen in baseball. You got Miguel Sano, strikes out tons. However, second half of the last season he played, 2021, he was 29% above league average. And knowing him, understanding him, it's all off of power. So if you're 29% above league average, even if you're striking out 35% of the time with that level of power, he has, a, he's going to have an ISO about three, three thirty, three fifty, and a high BABIP with that as well. So is he a guy who's going to hit everybody? No, but if he gets any pitches to hit, he's hitting for doubles and homers. So if you can put him at DH for your team and you can give him lineup protection, he will be very good for you. And one more thing I got to say about Sano, he's the only player that I've seen in the last couple of years that can keep pace with Stanton consistently on an exit velocity basis. Um, Anthony Rizzo, we've seen him for the Yankees defense, lefty, power hitting. Don't need to say anything else. Yuli, we just named him for the Astros. Hits in big situations, specifically uh, doubles, singles, hits the ball to all fields. People don't talk about this, but when he was in Cuba, he was a shortstop and a third baseman. He still looks uncomfortable over at first base. I am convinced that if you have the right defense at short and at second, and they, get, they can shift over, that you can still play him at third. You're just going to have to give him reps a whole offseason really to prepare for it. But if you sign him, you have that whole offseason. Wilson, yeah, Wilson Contreras, I, I don't know if I have to say anything there. He's the best two-way catcher in baseball other than Real Muto. He had 
actual middle of the order numbers. You could put Contreras as a three-hole hitter, and it would make sense. A catcher who can hit like that is going to get $23, 24000000 million a year, and for at least five years. Um, clear value, I don't have to say anything. Now, this is where we get to the very end of the list. I don't know what to think of Yoshiba, the third baseman, coming over from Japan. If he is the real deal, every team should want him. Middle of the order power hit. However, even though he looks better than the last few guys coming over, like um, you know, G-Man Choi didn't pan out. Um, you know, Jung Ho Gong was there for two seconds. Um, Sia Suzuki, you know, he didn't really pan out, just really good before the league adapted. Yoshiba, he looks a lot better than all of those. So I want to put him on this list. He's kind of number 31. Because if he can do what we think he can do, middle of the order, middle of the order. And the way that they play over there is a lot less, I'm going to pad my numbers and a lot more, what can I do to get our team to win? So when you see Matsui's coming over and Shinsu Chu's coming over, if you have guys who are coming over from, you know, uh, Korea and, and Japan, it's a different way of playing the game than a lot of guys do here. Not everyone. There's a lot of gamers out here. But I found anyone who comes over from Asia, really South Korea, Japan, anyone who comes over from there, they tend to be some of the best hitters in the big leagues at getting RBIs. And you need that. You need guys who are less about themselves and more about the team. So he's 31. Um, he's kind of tied with Christian Vasquez, who's got serious concerns on hitting, is one of the three worst uh, base runners in the sport. But he's also a great defensive catcher. And if he can hit with that defense, it kind of makes it so whatever. Even though the base running's terrible, if you don't have anyone else who's close to that bad, then he's a clear plus for you. Um, but there is serious concerns because if the offense isn't there and the base running is this bad, it's not going to change. It's staying this bad. Then essentially he's a terrible base running, non-hitting catcher who can just play defense. And that's worse than Martin Maldonado. So Yoshiba is basically tied with Vasquez. And those are your top 30 with, you know, the Yoshiba Vasquez being our honorable mention. So episode definitely went longer than I thought it was going to go. Um, however, I think I covered everything that you guys are going to need to know entering the free agent market outside of where these players who are free agents rank within each of their positions. I think in the next show, maybe we'll we'll talk a little bit about maybe the outfield. But what I want to talk about, I think that is essential for us to talk about, is which good players could be on the trade market. We now know the free agent hitters. Um, I think it would be really good to know what the options are if you're going to make some trades. So, Chris, that's it for me. I mean, that's about as much information as I can give you all. Let's go. Let's go. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.